Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey there, foodies, and welcome back to another episode of Foodie Films. Of course, this is your host, your chef de cinema cuisine, Kyle Reinfried. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? You foodies get all your bags of candy for your trick-or-treaters. If the town, the city you're living in is even allowing trick-or-treating, I hope so, because, I don't know, that's just one of the better parts of being a kid, right? You know, uh, candy, 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 candy. Ooh, you guys remember? I don't think I covered any Halloween, you know, scary films last year, but... That first year of Foodie Films, way back when, I did an episode, me, myself, and I, how scary is that? And I talked the Garfield Halloween special, maybe not a feature film, but, you know, a short film, I'd call it. And it was just one of my favorites growing up, and so funny and scary, those ghosts, but not nearly as scary as the film we're talking today. Horrifying, this film, from the first time I saw it to... When I just recently watched it for this episode, we're continuing the, uh, well, what do I say in the beginning? Cinema cuisine. So cannibal cinema cuisine. Last film centric episode, I talked with Joey Lewandowski, co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, and we talked raw. Ooh, that film was good. That was, that was a really good film. I'm glad Joey got me to watch it. This week, I'm joined by the other Cage Club podcast network co-founder Michael Manzi and I mean this film you know if any film is going to give Raw a run for its money it's going to be the 1991 Academy Award winning best picture best actor best actress best director best screenplay film The Silence of the Lambs oh this film is so good so good so good so good and I just want to say I, I think I say it in the episode, but if not, I can't. I don't recall if it's something I said afterwards. But uh, you know, we talk. We talk this movie. Manzi and I are just catching up. We haven't seen one another this whole time since you know the pandemic. We've talked a little bit, but it was nice. We met in person. We've both been tested recently, so we were safe in that. We sat an appropriate distance. So in the beginning, we're just talking a lot of films. This is a film centric episode, but we do talk some food and. Uh, Specifically, the last question I asked him is a question I've only asked one person before, and that's Brian Rodriguez on his third or fourth visit when I decided to ask another question, which 
is if you had a sandwich named after you, what would be the contents of said sandwich? And this stumped Mike a little bit. You're going to hear that from him. But I forgot to ask this for Joey. So Joey, if you're listening, I apologize. I'll have to have you on in a in one of the cold opens or maybe at the end of an episode or just the next time I have you on. And I want to have you on much sooner than later. Not this once a year kind of stuff we've been doing. So anyway, happy Halloween. And before I talk to you next, obviously that'll happen. And another very important thing, election day. Guys, please, foodies, go out there and vote. I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into politics, but this is an important one. So please, if you haven't mailed in your ballots yet or done early uh, you know, election, early voting in person, I should say, please go out there and vote. Uh, we need to fix a lot of things, but one thing I think, if you're listening to a podcast called Foodie Films... A lot of people in the film industry with movie and movie theaters and obviously the restaurant industry need a lot of help. And I think we need some change to be able to help them. So anyway, here I go talking Silence of the Lambs with Michael Manzi. Technical difficulties. Were you recording? I mean, I am, but I'm not like, but it's not. Oh, that wasn't the proper show. Okay. Well, I can include that. (laughs) I guess I'll have to listen to find out. Ooh, (laughs) Easter eggs, but it's Halloween time. Halloween pumpkins. So wrong holiday. Wrong holiday. (laughs) You can still get candy, though. (laughs) It's true. God's candy. Candy. Well, not this time. This is the devil's candy. Is Easter. Easter's God's candy. And I've had you on for an Easter episode. I think that was the last time I was on. And candy is, you know, it's a food. Yeah. So, but it is strange how it's so related to, like, every holiday has, you know, chocolate. The sweets. Yeah, because even chocolate bunnies, chocolate <laughs> chocolate turkeys, chocolate, chocolate Santas, chocolate pumpkins. Like, there's... Fourth of July, mm, like, pa- ice, pa- ice pies, cream, I guess. s'mores. I guess that's like chocolate, just like a summery... Chocolate melts in the summer, so I guess it's yeah. more like rocket pop. Jello. It's always oh, the jello. Jello. Oh, we should, no. <laughs> I know you almost slipped into the uh, convicted felon impression there, but I saved it with a good. It's Halloween. Too. It's time for. <laughs> well, uh, Manzi, Michael Manzi, hey. co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network, host of so many shows. Your own being third times a charm. Your latest being yeah. So co-host of many shows. Yeah, co-host. Uh, yes, latest yes. a new endeavor. Between uh, Dan Colon and myself, The Monsters That Made Us, which is coming out the first episode. Well, the like preview episode's out, but the first episode will be out the 30th of October. And new episodes the last Friday of every month. The Monsters That Made the, Us. So yeah. just all... Oh, okay. all, all uh... So let me elaborate, I yeah. guess. <laughs> That's it. Um, so we're starting with the... Original Universal Monsters. Okay. The Family Opera, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Invisible Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon. um, You know, those those guys and and the Bride of Frankenstein. She's an and the Invisible Woman. She's got a movie. Do you have a favorite? Uh, Yeah. So favorite monster right now is the Invisible Man. Um, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Right. The one (laughs) that they that was created in the alternate 2020. Where everything's fine. <laughs> um, 
But so like there's 31 of those movies in it's like a you know it's like a shared it's kind of like a shared universe really it's the I original mean, MC monster cinematic universe MCU that's damn it Kyle <laughs> the original MCU because it's all tied together with like Abbott and Costello at the end you know oh, they all yeah. meet the monsters yeah. and everything is like tied together and it's like a that's monster their Infinity mash. Gauntlet thing yes yeah, right so we're starting there. Um, it's going great so far. One episode in, it's been a lot of, <laughs> but it's good. And I hope after these initial, this initial run, we, uh, we keep it going. I want to go back and do like Nosferatu and like, there's a bunch of silent, there's a lot of universal movies, horror movies without these monsters, but okay. also starring a lot of the same stars and directors and things like that. So like, you know, like Bella made like cat's eye and the Raven and things. So, like, I'd like to go back and watch a lot of those as well and eventually work our way up, you know? We got to do, like, yeah, Fox and RKO with, like, the blob and, you yeah. know... We well, gotta yeah, do you King can go Kong into movies that are inspired by those movies even, you know, like... Yeah, but first off is Universal, and we're going to, you know, even... Universal kept trying, man. We think the Dark Universe was some kind of new thing to them, but, like, throughout the years, they always sort of went back to the well and was, like... You know, let's do Frankenstein again. Let's do Dracula again. And there's all those Brendan Fraser mummy movies. And I mean, it's one and, of their most valuable properties. Yeah. So, it's that. And then uh, shout out to uh, another show on the podcast, Too Fast or Forever. Exactly. Like The Fast and the Furious. Oh, my God. Jurassic Park. Kyle. Like, those are like the... Kyle. Yes. A Fast and Furious Universal Monsters crossover movie that's what they announced part 10 is about <laughs> they get to the moon yeah, and they like unleash the mummy's curse yeah. i don't know <laughs> how you do it exactly but there's a lot of like you could definitely take like one of those characters send them off on an archaeological adventure and like find a vampire exactly Dumb versus the vampires <laughs> that's what it's gonna be come right like i mean it's the, the perfect with spin-off. the hobbs and shaws exactly it, like it's the perfect Time for a spin-off, like section, yeah, subsection, subgenre of Fast and Furious movies. Have they admitted that? And I'm like, not like joking. Like, I don't want this to sound insincere. Like, I'm so excited about this concept. Like, I want it in comics at least, or somehow fan fiction. Yeah, I mean, they've got an animated series now, even right? They do. Um, I mean, have any new trailers for things come out that didn't already have a trailer like right before or the early days of the pandemic you know what i'm saying like there really hasn't been for the bigger for these bigger properties out there yeah not so much there was just like that new Clooney trailer dropped today but that's going to be a netflix movie yeah um, exactly oh yeah. crudes 2 coming to theaters oh, that, that trailer dropped cage, so yeah. hey cage and then cage another one jujitsu i think is the name of it uh that that's going to be uh, video on demand but that also comes out next month but i hear what you're saying no i haven't really seen like there was a black widow trailer before you know no eternals trailer no eternal like that. yeah that's what you mean like there's no. been a there there was a uh, <laughs> they dropped another bond trailer and then they're like no 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 yeah exactly <laughs> time it's not time to kill that's that's the that's time to die oh time to die yeah. i don't know i can't remember what it's called but it looks cool Big big Bond fan. Yeah. You never really see Bond eat a lot in his movies so much, do you? No. Right? You figured like every once in a while. Well, like like superheroes, right? Like you never see him like sleeping on the, oh, well, can, on okay. the, on the can, showering, eating. So you, know? you never see them sort of by them. That's what I don't like a lot about. Human even in, moments. Even in comics, you don't get tons of that. That's why like Marvel and DC can be really boring is because they're always fighting and you never get to see Batman like 
food shopping yeah. or something at the supermarket <laughs> or anything. But there's that great scene. Speaking of, you know, it's a foodie scene, but it's, you know, I just just coming up. But in the, in the Tim Burton Batman. Yes, I think with the soup. And I then feel they, like we've talked. We might have talked about that. I think and then we, they end we up talk in the kitchen with sandwiches. Like yeah. it's such a great. I think we talked about that on Last Temptation because I know we did Superman. Oh, yeah. Because of the Jesus. And, and we were talking about big, long tables. Yeah. Because I think so, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's the Last Supper table in his mansion. Those are great moments. That's a great moment of just like, I was going to say, like the most human Batman is the Michael Keaton Batman that we get like downtime like with him as Bruce Wayne. And I don't want to, I don't want to like, I don't want to cause a rift here. I'm not that excited for the, I like, okay, the new Batman whatever but like he what is with him just be i don't know if i like what they're doing with the new batman i understand he's not really batman yet and everything mm-hmm. he's gonna be making mistakes like year two yeah. but dude he just like beats the shit out of that guy on the side the, of the, the street the crunch sound I mean, we don't even know intense. what that kid did right but like batman is just he just seems so much more like ultra fascist in this day and age to me that I just am not I'm having trouble with it I know this isn't the Batman podcast but (laughs) like I can't imagine Robert Pattinson ever having one of those moments on the toilet you know what I mean in one of his Batman movies right but it it looks like like he's gonna have like I mean I kind of love that this Batman is the first Batman we're seeing like with like the mask off but eyeshadow still on I don't know that's interesting to me that's uh that's necessary you gotta you know that's the oh that's the big daddy thing right we get to see that in kick-ass with cage where he's yeah, like gearing yeah, up yeah, and he puts yeah. the eyeliner and his muscle or goatee or fu manchu actually and his inspiration was the uh, adam, adam west, west batman but yeah the way he's his yeah. cadence of talking which is great batman which they've mined for a lot of the movies too you know like the keith leather joker mask from the beginning of the dark knight mm-hmm. is in one of the early Joker episodes. Oh, um, I, I don't know if I knew that. In I one thought... of the episodes, the um, the Penguin runs for mayor, and he, okay. got, and he runs for mayor in the Dark Knight Returns. I knew it was slightly inspired by um, uh, the Killing. Right, that's the early Kubrick film. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because that's one with the yeah with clowns and oh the horse race one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. I knew that was an inspiration. oh the heist. Okay, yeah. And then obviously heat with the whole heist thing at the beginning of the Dark Knight. But, yeah, it's crazy. But um, obviously not a lot of movies coming out. I mean, we got ones on streaming services. But how? I mean, I, I haven't uh, seen you, and even even really. Uh, you know, besides little things via social media. Yeah. But uh, we haven't talked in a while. So, how, I mean, how have you been during all this? I mean, just, I mean, that and then even, I am curious, uh, food-wise, have you have you attempted <laughs> uh, any new, to cook any new meals? I feel like you shared at one point, like, I made this. Um, I haven't really... I mean, like, are any of us doing, like, okay? Like, we're doing the best we can, right? Like, yeah. that's what I feel like. I haven't really, you know, I haven't cracked entirely... Um, you you got some new ink. You you were dyeing your hair for a little bit. Yeah, I made a bunch of really radically impulsive <laughs> decisions that I couldn't take back. That I don't. I love them. Like here, this is one. Yeah. I don't think you've seen any of any of these. Just via pictures, yes. There there they are, like live and okay. Hold on, this is the latest. I'm showing Kyle my new tattoos. I think yeah, we've got an eyeball and flame, and then we've got a ooh, I like the skull with the with like spider, spider legs. legs. Yeah crawling up that's cool have you seen this one i had this at brian's wedding but i didn't last very long at brian's wedding <laughs> i think brian alluded to that on the last temptation episode yeah yeah um you, you just you went a little too hard a cocktail hour a little bit yeah i have not been to a cocktail hour actually that's not true a month earlier i was in vegas and i overdid it okay and so i think it was like a residual 
sort of like <laughs> echo of I could still do this. And then it was like, oh man, I just can't do this. His cocktail hour was crazy. He had a sangria bar. I was it just was epic. Yeah. I would tell people it was like it was like being in a movie. It's like they were shooting a movie, but there's no cameras or anything. Yeah. I was like, this is craziness. I had no clue. So much food, so much drink. I was very overwhelmed. And then we get to the then we get to like our the actual reception. table. Yeah, the actual, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like I, you know, any other wedding, we'd be going home right now because of how much we ate and drank and how, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's like another wedding. Yeah. It's like, no, this is the real party. And I was just like, this is, this is insane. Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, I've not been cooking. Um, I've sort of been off the ramen. I've been eating lots of cereal. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of microwavable bo- stuff. Booberry and uh, Count Chocula. I can't the... find that. <laughs> I can't find that stuff. I'd eat it. Uh, Frankenberry when I was a kid. That was so sacred. All that. I'm a big cereal guy. Um, been eating lots of like sandwiches and lunch meats and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, nothing too, nothing, nothing to brag about. Nothing yeah. like. Nothing I miss, I miss our diner days. I know. I do too as well. I f- actually went out for the first time and got Bear Burger. Oh, how was that? I love. Yeah, yeah. So I got that. It made me happy uh, for you know for a little while. That's. I mean, during all this, food is the comfort. I mean, that's right. I mean, as f- oh, far yeah. as forms of escapism, we you know we can't go. You know, there's there's outdoor seating started. What I think right. I think on my birthday, June fifth, back in June fifteenth. And then uh, Labor Day, 25% inside. We'll see if anything changes in that with the spikes that are happening. Um, but then, you know, movies, you can go. You haven't been to the movies yet, right? No, I think you know my stance on that. I sort of <laughs> took a very strong side to the no going to new movies mm-hmm. thing. And like, uh, it's funny, I texted Joey one day because I was like, holy shit, like the AMC is open. They're showing stuff. He's like... He's like, you can't, you're not going, are you? He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not going. I'm just, I'm just saying. He's like, yeah, I can't let you go. You like, you know, he's like, you got to stay, stay strong to, to your boycott. I was like, you're right. I got to stand for that. Like, it makes sense to me though. I don't understand why they're not releasing more quote unquote blockbusters on demand. I mean, that shit would just, it would do gangbusters. If you think about it, like if you think about, you get to like how many times you would rent that movie mm-hmm. over the course of like three or four months like it's like more you'd make more money or you'd get more money out of me than if it was playing in theaters i i'd be curious yes because like while some movies have been released i mean i think like you know the, there's uh movies that are not a lot of money but then like i you know mulan is definitely i know like one of the bigger ones right i think it's like 30 dollars to rent yeah and then I don't know, do you just have it for one time? Like, I don't know. I don't so know how that's, that's working, but I would be very curious to see an already established property, like well, if they released Black Widow. Well, know? like, I think what they did with Bill and Ted was Oh, yeah, was Bill and Ted. Yeah, really yeah. And you even covered, that you was even a covered ve- that. That's yeah. considered a very successful release. That's probably, like, the most successful VOD release in history or something. And I, I just, you know, I just spent, what, $20 to rent Love and Monsters for what three days mm-hmm. you know and like sure it's like it was a fun movie but like i don't i don't feel like it was like cheated like that was perfectly fine because i was going to spend 15 dollars at the movies anyway yeah that extra five dollars you know for popcorn or, or a drink or something like it comes out to be the same amount so i don't know why 
I don't think it's a studio thing. I think it's more, I think there's more pressure from the actual theaters because the theaters don't make shit. Yeah, but the studios on the property, all I know is in the end of the day, if they want to, if they knew that they were going to make money, they would make I just money. think, I think things are going to shift in like a month when New Mutants and Tenet go to Blu-ray and video on demand, right? Like mm. they'll be out of the theater cycle and they'll come to home distribution and that shit is going to bank like it's gonna be fucking crazy. Like Tenet is gonna make like millions and millions of dollars from rentals and home video and, and Blu-rays and video on demand and people are just gonna eat that shit up so hard and they're gonna be like, Oh my god, like why'd we even bother releasing this in America in theaters? <laughs> it should have just gone right to demand. Like we could have made an extra ten dollars out of everybody. Like, yes, I would like to, but mm -hmm. no, I don't really need to, is I think what it comes down to. And mm -hmm. I think in this time of like you know, health issues and all kinds of things like that. Like, it's just safer to be smarter about that kind of thing. And I don't know, if you want to make money, there's ways to make money. It just seems like they don't want to make money that way. Like, there's something lesser about that. And I guess maybe there is, but that's just like, it feels like a hang up at this point because you're just denying the future in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like you're pushing back on the story that's trying to tell itself in a way. Like yeah. it feels like a writer trying to write himself like out of a corner that I don't know, is futile or something. I don't want to say like a fun thing, but what's an interesting sort of byproduct of all this is that since no movies have come out for a year and they're still making movies, there's going to be like this weird backlog. Yeah of stuff I like especially yeah. in the marvel cinematic well, universe well, I, I can't think of the headache that that's creating when like they specifically have to release certain properties before other ones well that's like the, that. i mean they damned themselves like years ago by by putting that model together by yeah. putting the release date by the what is that the cart before the horse yeah. you know like <laughs> that was their own fault and now that i mean i think it's I think it's the, another thing too is like it's so there's so many facets to it like it's almost a good thing too because the studio system the distribution system um the theaters like all those models suck you know what i'm saying like they're all broken to a degree so like maybe at the end of all this somewhere on the other side like they'll just be a better way of getting your content in general yeah. you know and like no one will have to do this first or this first first you got to do this and then you got to do that like put a movie out on demand and then in, in three months put it out in the theater yeah i just you know what i'm saying like tenant like if they re-release that next summer and it was safe to go to the theater i would go you know i yeah. would go yeah so i think we just we live in a world currently of um hoping for the best but expecting the worst <laughs> Or, and that's even, that's being the, uh, I think, even on the positive side yeah, of things. Yeah. A lot of people are just expecting the worst or, you know. No hope at all. No <laughs> hope at all. <laughs> well, we've been heavy on the film. So, I mean, well, we're not going to talk a lot of food today, people. This is a food-centric. You're one of my favorite people to talk movies with. Okay. So I mean, there's plenty of stuff to talk about eating in this movie. You, yes. And so this movie, and I'm happy to talk this movie because the first movie I had you on for was Soylent Green, which ends up being a movie. Yeah. The big surprise is that Soylent Green is people. People. So, is it, yeah, it's, it's a secret cannibal movie. Yeah. This is not a secret cannibal movie. No. <laughs> And maybe just as good an impression can be mined from one of the performances in this, you know? You oh. get your Heston with the, yeah! Yes. And then you get your Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins in this with this. 
stuff. In it. But he doesn't say it's always, he says it in Hannibal, but not Silence of the Lambs, Hello, Clarice. What is it? Is it like, good evening, Clarice? It's oh, in this he says, good morning. good morning. It was so jarring. I was like, well, I don't remember him saying stuff first. Like, he, what? <laughs> and this film is The Silence of the Lambs. Yes. So, Kyle, have you had lamb? I've I've eaten lamb. I love. I've I, had I, lamb. I enjoy lamb. Lamb it's chops, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's an Easter uh, dish. It's a springish <laughs> dish. Does that anything to do with Halloween? No one <laughs> sacrifice oh, he does, a he, lamb. He does get lamb. I all of a sudden, like in that later scene, his escape scene, he ordered lamb, very rare, blo- like uh, uh, asked for it bloody. Yeah, because he's so, dropping little clues for Clarice and shit. He's yeah, just he's, like and we see his pa- his drawing his of Clarice holding the lamb. Um, yeah, but this movie, I mean, this is just one of the most, uh, reference films, just one of the, just, I mean, yeah. biggest films out there, most like parody, most, most reference. Par- yeah. And why is that Kyle? Because it's one of the, mo- it's a modern masterpiece. This movie is so damn good. I mean, mod- modern, this film is now almost 30 years oh, old. Modern to me. <laughs> I remember when this movie came out, like, you're looking right there at the VHS. Wow. That was my brother's VHS. Like, this movie was was big amongst, I guess because, like, it appealed to teens and adults somehow. I mean, this is a, yeah. Like, the idea that Agent Starling, I never realized how young she's supposed to be, you know? So it's like, oh, look, like, what, you could have a career in the FBI and stuff. And then (laughs) all the the forensic stuff. Yes. I feel like this was way before the, like, the forensic subgenre this was used by the fbi as a recruiting tool nice yeah. they would it's, show this as like uh i mean we we went uh i mean it's not top gun but it is propaganda like yeah to a she's, degree you know? she's a badass she is one of jodie foster in this i mean you know like i mean you have to give it i think one of the strongest uh you know, on-screen heroines is Sigourney Weaver in in, in the Alien series. Yes. But, uh, the, you know, that's crazy however, action sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. I, you brought that up. I was going to bring that up because I wrote a paper about that <laughs> in college. And this was like 2005. And it was like comparing Clarice to... Um, the uh, like the hero's journey, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. how usually all those steps, Belly like if you, if you see those played out, it's generally like the man is the is the journey going. And it's yeah. almost like, oh, well, how does this relate? Like if she is the hero, you know, but but she's a female. And so how does her gender play a part of her role it while does. trying to go through the same steps as a man would in, in the hero's journey sort of thing. And this movie is a very good example like of sort of dropping in all those things and like even Hannibal Lecter being sort of the twisted version of the old wise like wizard character or something like that. Yeah. Like the, it really spins a lot of those tropes on its side. How much do you talk about it in the film? How much does it define her, her sexuality? Yeah. It's a big, it, it is a big part, but it ultimately like isn't i mean it's, it's not it, 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 it is important but it's not she is going to be who she's going to be i think no matter like see what, it's just you know. there as her character and like character development and mm-hmm. things like that it it like obviously it affects the story because it's she's part of the story right but it's not the story the story isn't i mean it could be like the growth of agent starling and how she changes and everything and you always see like you know the way she gets like glances and stuff but it almost just becomes sort of obligatory at some point and like taken for granted and it's just about 
trying to capture this killer, you know? So I just think that's really interesting. I think she's a great character. Um, you're right. She's like, um, it's a different, it's a different sort of like Ripley. Like you're, you know, like this is showing like you don't have to, I mean, yes, she has a gun and she's in the FBI. Okay. Like there are certain things that they're still, she's not just an everyday ordinary person, but but like she's not on a spaceship. She's not fighting an alien. She's tracking down actual people. The people yeah. are the monsters. She's navigating this system that is inherently chauvinistic. And, you know, if anything, they want her to fail, it seems, right? Like they have it's <laughs> no yeah, it's not exactly and, a fair system. And yeah, I no mean, one just, everyone wants to be her. No one wants her to be there. Like there's this weird vibe going on all the time. There's such a shot that's just perfect and explains everything that her character has to go through in that world without without obviously these uh not dealing with the serial killers, but just purely as a woman in this man's world, which is she when she's it's right in the beginning and she's running through the course at the mm-hmm. Quantico at the FBI, you know, headquarters or, or uh, you know, training facility and someone comes out and, you know, big, big guy FBI in his hat, you know, uh, and uh, what does he say? He's like, Crawford wants to see you in his office. And she goes into the building and she goes into this elevator and I wrote it down. It's just like a bunch of uh, what are they even wearing? It's just big guys in red shirts and she is just i mean jody foster is a tiny person and yeah. they definitely got also bigger guys and she just walks in and is a solid foot and a half shorter than these guys in these loud red shirts yeah and but i love it because also even in a uh, star trek sense the red shirts like don't matter right and she is just like you know she's wearing a, a dark blue black or whatever and it's just focus right there but also it's just showing like she, yeah, she's a woman playing in at that point what is a man's world. Yeah, it, I mean, and and a lot of this stuff is so subconscious because the uh, filmmaking is so tight by Jonathan Demme oh, and just masterful and his cinematographer. I think it's Tak Fujimoto. I'm not sure if he's still with him at this time, but uh, like it starts from the beginning. Like the first shot of this movie is um, is a girl running through the woods, right? And what do we typically associate with? That. She's running from something. Yeah, yeah. in a horror movie, yeah. right? Yeah. Or like, you know... And, and the music in this movie is just so unsettling. Yeah. And, and it kicks off right away that it's it's painting this picture that isn't necessarily true because she's, you know, she's... Right. You know, in, for that moment. Yeah. So it's really cool how the symbolism and the filmmaking and the story and everything is just sort of gelling really well. And it's almost like, how do you classify it? Because I consider this a horror movie. You know, I mean, that's through and the through. That's the big thing. I mean, it is a horror movie. I mean, it has the thriller, uh, you know, sense to it, and you know, genre. And this is so. This is a genre film. I, I remember um, while we were in college, what either it would be for two thousand seven or two thousand eight Academy Awards, No Country for Old Men won, mm-hmm. and I remember. Uh, Bridget Bernard saying, oh, I don't know if she was. I think she really loved um, Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. I think that was that was a, a crowd favorite, obviously, that year. Yeah. Big indie, you know, film, a lot of heart. Yeah. Um, and so she was just like, oh, it's just so rare for a genre film to win. And if you go back and you're looking at, like, Silence of the Lambs was kind of like the last one. I mean... And obviously, then obviously Shape there's, of Water comes up and wins yeah, a few Shape years of, ago, yeah, right? And it's I'm, like, holy. I'm, yeah, because, I mean, and genre, it's in this case, is just being, like, 
so specific because you could say Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I, like, I don't think this is classified so much as a horror movie by the general public. I don't know. I wonder what it's the Academy. I think they want to say this is a police procedural. This is more of a crime <laughs> yeah, film. It's a, more of that with a mystery. These, yeah, yeah. With these horror elements. But, but like the language, the film language of this movie is that of like a stalker film or a horror film. Slasher. A slasher flick. Yeah. The close-ups in this movie, the, which is almost every other shot. And, and Jonathan Demi really just like right down the barrel of the shotgun, the characters are looking into the oh, camera. there's no social distancing. They're standing like <laughs> right in front of your fucking face, like talking to you in your face. Like it is so unnerving and you don't know why, right? Until you've seen it a couple of times or until you've studied the movie or until you've talked about it with a lot of people or read about it or something. And you're like, oh, right. Like there's all this stuff, which nowadays i feel like is missing um is like you don't even know you're being manipulated in one way or the other with this movie like it's telling you one thing but showing you so much more that's the power of you know there's a reason that uh if if you stick around after the story of the movie ends and you stick around for the credits that you know uh, today's movies with CGI aside, that the credits are as long as they are yeah. because there are so many departments. And this is one of those movies that like the people just go above and beyond showcasing the strengths of every department. Because, I mean, when I was writing down things I just love about this movie, it's not specific i mean there are plenty of specific things but the things i wrote down was just the music the cinematography the editing and obviously the acting but just the the real power here and i and, I, and why i'm saying is because what you were just saying i i think it's just the power of the cinematography and the editing is just so unnerving and that takes multiple viewings to understand how big of a part that's playing of why yeah. why this movie is terrifying. I, I've seen this movie countless times and I'm still terrified. The Greats, that's, that it, that's always the situation with The Greats. That's what it is with Psycho. That's what it is with Jaws. I feel like Demi comes from a class sort of like with the Palma. I mean, Demi is Well, he more was a student from, of Roger Corman. Exactly. I was going to say, he's more from the Corman school, which is like one-man army kind of filmmaking, right? Like you cut... Gorilla. Gorilla yeah, filmmaking yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. But I also feel like there's a lot of Hitchcock influenced in this movie. Oh, and the, I mean... You, and like, and, and just in his style and just, like, even if you look at like Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which he also did, which shout out to Hanks, Hanks for the memories. Um, in I mean, a different way, it's doing something with the camera to elicit an emotion. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not shot like a horror film. I'm sure and, he and watched some like of the crime co- movie, but, I'm sure he watched some of the great courtroom movies for that. But not just that, but like getting like using the camera in a way to evoke to evoke an emotion, right? That that they're not saying with words, you know? So like if you look at Hanks, it's like, "Oh, well, how are they shooting Hanks at this moment in his character's life or time and why are they using that specific like he chooses specific angles like if someone's and someone in this movie is lying to you it's going to be shot from further away than Mm. if he's telling you the truth which is going to be like right up in your face well which is also he isn't afraid to make you uncomfortable and i mean this movie 
there's plenty of things to make you uncomfortable and then mm-hmm. cringeworthy the um showing the bodies and graphic just the, the, the graphicness gore. the gore yes and i mean when they're in that uh that morgue and just the way that they're showing oh, the, yeah, or, the or the, and, and yeah the autopsy and the characters even then just putting the 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 scent cream yeah. under their noses but i mean that's the same the way they reveal um tom hanks's uh character in philadelphia and all of his like the boils mm-hmm. and everything from from the I, sores, I that, the yeah, sores yeah. from having at that point i think he has aids versus hiv yeah I think, for I sure so. and so uh i mean just the way that jonathan demi chooses to show that information to you it's just it's very right there in your face like yeah. a lot of these characters are and, talking to you and it should be to a degree, right? Like, I mean, depending on your on your on your material, like, I, I, you know, you don't shoot every movie the same way. I hope you don't, but it feels like nowadays uh, some people do. I feel like some people look at at films these days and say you can't tell who directed this because it all feels like the same in a lot of ways. You know, I feel like we've had this conversation before, but with like, and I, I, maybe I I posed the question of like, what is in the Marvel movies? I think the best ones are the ones that like if if you didn't know and you just hopped in that you kind of get a sense of who directed this like Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi and it is or, or definitely, at least to be able to say someone else directed someone else, this yes, one like yes. there's there's something more than just the the committee style yeah, happening with this but there's there's that uh you know cinematic staples of certain directors and this is one for jonathan demi for, for sure and i mean it's even uh one of i um uh, i um, i definitely speaking for myself but i'm pretty sure for you as well one of my favorite filmmakers pt anderson i mean when he says who inspired him jonathan demi jonathan demi jonathan demi jonathan demi like that is robert just... downey senior throw that in there uh, but, <laughs> but yeah yeah like that's and then then you go on and then you see obviously how much then pt anderson films are are their own right but he just took inspiration i mean that's what tarantino did from watching kurosawa and scorsese films and well that guy it's interesting like that guy definitely pt anderson like definitely like has a style but doesn't doesn't use it the same way in every movie you know what i'm saying but you see his movies and you're like oh that's that's definitely him right yes, so like yeah. something from inherent vice where <laughs> you have like a goofball stuck in like dire straits and situations you're like oh okay this this sort of comparison is working or if you have like there will be blood you're like, oh, okay. I could see how the same guy made these two movies. Yeah. Where you have like a, a a fool in one and a tyrant in another, but yet somehow like there's there's some kind of thing that I understand is the same guy making this. I mean, it also comes down to thematic elements, which is what I think draws a lot of. I mean, P.T. Anderson is you know broken families, like the outsiders, mm-hmm. and with John, Jonathan Demi, I think it's very much about victims. Yeah, I mean, and this this is, I mean, Agent Starling is both. She's an outsider and a victim. Like, mm-hmm. it almost, she's almost like this perfect kind of, like, Lovecraftian character where she's viewing these imperceivable horrors from the outside for the first time, and she has to get into this world of madness and sort of, like, make sense of it. And if you've seen, like, the she's- sequels, she does not do a... She is not okay for like the rest of her life. <laughs> I mean, she is she is a lamb being put to the slaughter. Right. I mean, she is like lambs represent 
innocence usually and, and birth. Like that's why even like with Easter, like spring and everything like that. Um, and forget even where the title comes from, which we'll, t- we'll talk about that. But she is just, she's not even an agent yet. And then Jack Crawford. Yeah. And this is interesting to me because before this movie, what, there's Manhunter, which is yeah. if uh, which is in, how this, in this world. Caught. Or Lecter is caught. Is caught. And they're after, and they're using him to, to find another killer. The Red, Red Dragon, the which Red Dragon. then Red Dragon is the third entry of Hopkins the last the so I mm-hmm. mean which as 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 a host of third times a charm we have to per- sparse this out somehow <laughs> like yeah exactly like which is the third film in that series because you had Manhunter but then you had Silence of Lambs in 91 and then uh, you had uh and all great filmmakers Hannibal, Hannibal which is okay. um Michael Mann no mm-hmm. wait Ridley Scott, Michael Mann is wow. Ridley yeah. Scott directed that. Yeah, I know it's kind of that, and that's a really weird mess of movie. That's got a great cast because then you've got Ray Liotta in that. You've got Gary Oldman. Yeah, it's a fucking crazy movie. Julianne Moore replaces Jodie Foster, um, and then I I even read uh, what the book of Hannibal is about, and the end of that, Clarice like offers her uh, breast. To Hannibal Lecter, and they just become a couple. And then at the end of Hannibal the book, they're at an opera, and Barney is there and sees them and fears for and like and leaves in a panic because he's like nervous for his life. So like interesting in the book that's because I didn't even know there was Hannibal the book. Um, yeah, there's a couple books, and then there's Red Dragon, which is the third Anthony Hopkins comes back final time he's playing Hannibal Lecter, but it's a prequel, and Ed Norton plays. Uh, Graham Elliot, I think, is his name. So, is it a remake? It's not really even a remake of Manhunter because that it. it I mean, that it, is it, so cerebral. Like, it's such a different, yeah, such a different vibe going on in that movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's that was it's, Michael Mann, right? You said that, right? Of Manhunt, Manhunter, yeah. Michael Mann, and then Brett Ratner did uh, <sighs> Red Dragon. But I Little do, Red. I do enjoy Red Dragon because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Isn't it? Oh, okay. as as a, a like a corrupt like a, a reporter for like a you know a, you know crappy paper whatever tab, tabloid. He is murdered by Rafe Fines in a terrible haunting like way. Okay, and, yeah, very. And that's very, the one very, where Rafe Fines has the, the the giant back tat back tat yeah. with the blind woman and yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a ridiculous movie. Uh, but throughout all those movies, I mean, and the reason, hey, it is the Halloween season, so I wanted to talk, you know, a, a scary movie, but also um, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, is a foodie, and and you see that in uh, <laughs> in this film. Uh, you see that in Hannibal, and when he's like eating Ray Liotta's brain and then gives it to the oh. kid on the plane at the end. Spoilies. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> well, it's funny because, yeah, in the beginning of Red Dragon, he's, he's throwing dinner the dinner party yeah. and, and they serving, don't realize yeah. that they're eating like the His third string victim. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, violinist yeah. or something like that. That's Oh, the way that movie begins that he's at like this concert and the and, and the, he's just like, oh, the, the violinist like... He's just focusing on yeah. him and yeah. he's just like, oh, he's got to go. <laughs> hilarious um and this i mean there's there's you know he talks about food a lot and i mean he's hannibal the cannibal like 
Yes. But it's not like, he's not like a mutant cannibal guy who's like chomping it off the bone. Like he likes to, you know, he's, remove your liver, saute it probably. Like he's not just gonna, you know, he's not a, he's not uncivilized. Like that's what's so fucked up about him is like. Yeah. He's eat, he's eating what like p- parts we eat from animals. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he'd eat a finger, but like. Well, chicken fingers. It would depend. <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. No, I mean, well, what part of the animal do we not eat? So, like, you know, he'd have it all, you know? Yeah. Ribs and I guess you wouldn't eat the intestines. I guess you could sausage it up. I don't know. A good rump roast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole nine. Um, but uh, but Anthony Hopkins definitely, like you said it earlier, I think he's one of the main reasons this movie is like so iconic is because like a lot of the stuff we are talking about, I don't think is picked up on immediately, right? But he is instantly iconic. He just... Recognizable, yes. repeatable. Like you could leave the movie doing an impression of him. Like he's that, it's that strong. The character's that fully formed. Like I feel like the rest of the movies don't really live up to this. I think Hannibal Caged is more dangerous than Hannibal free for some reason you know Ooh, okay like yeah. because he just seems more trapped and i just feel like one day he's just gonna lose his taste for it if he's, yeah, he's just there. more hungry yeah 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 you could actually see him almost starving in this movie right like he <laughs> well he kind of looks more gaunt he's sickly yeah yeah he looks very white and pale and well, i think they make dungeon him, of a jail cell i think they make him kind of look a little like bergman's death right from from the seventh seal a little bit yeah like i mean they, they make him look intentionally kind of like a lizard in some ways i mean yeah. I, that, that was a big thing like he didn't want to really blink unless it was necessary oh i don't think there's very much blinking in those close-ups of anybody to be honest with you i think that's yeah. part of the code of this film <laughs> it's like <laughs> but like you said just so quotable i mean i know a movie we're eventually going to talk and hopefully sooner than later is uh or just movies is the trip series yes and i love when rob ryan is just like what i want is a view i want a window where i can see a tree or even water like you know it's just like they i mean that movie they just are doing so many impressions but that's i ate his liver with uh, some father beans <laughs> there's a little play on the james bond uh, I think... <laughs> taking a drink while you do the line and uh come come down bud. I think I wrote, did I write it down? Um, no, there was. Yeah, I do. I do. For Queen and Good Country. <laughs> there was, I, so I didn't write down the specific wine, but in the book, he says um, a different type of wine that's more like very regional to Italy, and they changed it to Chianti because just for like American, it's just a more wine. He still wide, says it wrong, right? Like he, still, he still got roasted for. And then, yeah. Well, which which is unless he was rubing it up. I well, he's he's doing it kind of still for like Clarice and like mimicking her. Yeah, (laughs) which I read. This is crazy, but it did not say to do that at all. And and Jodie Foster does have like you know the accent. Yeah, in the, the in the back hills of america yeah exactly and and she did that and her like shocked look was because she was like oh my god anthony hopkins is like making fun of me right now and then afterwards she thanked him saying like thank you for evoking that i love hearing stories about that that comes up on the first episode of the monsters that made us check that out with the phantom of the opera something like that sort of comes up but that comes up uh did you ever hear uh and i bring this up on that episode so you could you know whatever you're gonna hear this twice but um i heard that no one 
on the set of The Dark Knight really knew what Heath Ledger was going to look like. And then so when they're, they're shooting the first scene, they shot with him was with everybody was in the kitchen with all the mobsters. Okay. And it was like the, when they're having the fundraiser for Harvey Dent? No, no, no. Oh, the one where the they're talking to the guy oh, on the yeah. TV and, and it's all the, the He does the pencil, pencil, the pencil gag. Yeah, 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 and yeah. when he walks out, if you look at Eric Roberts, that's like Eric Roberts seeing him in makeup for the first time ever. And he's just got like the most genuine expression on his face of like, what, what? the fuck is yeah. this? Like, what? Who is that? Like, yeah, where's just... he Ledger? Like, what did I get myself into? Like, there's this, this look of like shock on his face that just doesn't seem to be acting. Yeah. And just talk about, I mean, and I, iconic and like a you know person that's uh, or a character that is uh mimicked and just you know ah, right yeah, yeah another sort of lector my jokes were bad yeah like you leave that movie doing joker impressions the way you leave this movie doing like well if not hannibal impressions buffalo bill impressions oh boy buffalo bill which i mean again more just pop culture references we've we've talked about clerks 2 on foodie films oh god that scene with with uh with jay just doing the whole the dancing dance. to q lazarus would what you, a great song would though would you fuck me i was listening to it it's such a great new wave era song yeah so this 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 movie's a little like I, I I don't give this movie too much shit because it's a horror movie and it sort of plays with and against certain types and conventions and stuff like that. But it's not it's kind of like there there's a thing about this movie watching it in this day and age, and I don't want to we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I feel I like it needs say. to be mentioned. Yeah. And it's not just the transphobic stuff. There's like other sort of gay phobia things going on here. And some of it is just inherent to horror in general, you know, like there's always been lots of talk about in the past, even Hitchcock is guilty of it, of making like gay characters evil and just well, that that whole sort of stigma and thing. And I don't think this movie does much to uh, help with any of that, to no. be honest with you. I mean, but, yeah. but there's a but too, because like it doesn't say that th this is a very specific case file kind of situation you know buffalo yeah. bill is not everybody no um, you know so there's a context I, to it i think a lot of people when it comes to stuff like this it, um oh boy you have it on the background well yeah i've, right I've yeah. had it on yeah no no <laughs> so but i'm saying but it's the, the, it's scene, the scene is right on now. yeah yeah um look at the christ uh no <laughs> that i think i think when it comes to moments like this people need to just kind of have like a you know over the head you know like bird eye view kind of moment when, yeah for for certain things like this i mean you you could you could say a couple of things about this which yes i mean for sure transphobic but then buffalo bill doesn't represent the trans community he is a disturbed yeah. individual also in this movie at this time, I mean, one of the big things, the fact that just the the feminis, feminism that's being discussed in this movie mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Clarice saying to Crawford in the car, you realize what you, when you were like, what, I, I think it was the same, it's the autopsy scene and what he says like to the, you know, makes a little cue uh, to the to the other officers, like we shouldn't talk about this in front of her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, they look to you right on how to react so while i mean this movie might have then not helped or even done more harm to the trans com community in 1991 it's 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 sad but it's also it, it's the task of this movie was also creating and commenting on to make 
women stronger yes. figures out there. Yeah, exactly. So that's which is why, just very of. I mean, this is again almost a thirty-year-old movie. Yeah, and and every film is a sort of you know a reflection of the time that it's made and and the social norms that are acceptable at the time and the mores that are valued and this and that and 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 I think you make an excellent point. I think. For everything it does wrong, it does a lot right, right? It yes. almost sort of cancels out or at least balances it out. And I think even, you know, portrayed worse than someone like Buffalo Bill, you know, look at the guys running the FBI. Bunch <laughs> of white asshole men, right? And look at Hannibal Lecter. He's a straight white guy and he fucking eats people, right? <laughs> so it's not like anybody is coming out of this looking good except maybe for Agent Starling. Yeah, yeah. No, um... So like there's a lot of just these are the horrors rooted within, you know, people in general, right? Like anybody could be it just this Buffalo Bill, you know, he could have been in the FBI, right? And like the it, guy in the FBI could have been Buffalo Bill. Like I think they kind of allude to that maybe he's also a veteran. We see a helmet and a flag at oh, the yeah, end when got, the window he, breaks. He, and he's got, I mean, he's got Nazi stuff in his, like. Dude, he's got he's a, a fucking well to hell in his basement. Yes. Like, come on, dude. Like, this guy has definitely studied, like, the occult and, like, war and yeah. keeping prisoners in prison and like torture chambers and you know the yeah. French Revolution, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I think it's on. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, 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 an unreleased episode of Third Times a Charm, Gold Member, <laughs> where Kara and I, who's the other guest, kind of got into. I was, I was like, it's a silly movie, but she was. I mean, she obviously has her opinions and that's 100% like you know and mm-hmm. everyone's allowed to have their opinions and one thing I remember in that was just she was bringing up just uh the symbols of or characters that have scars in movies yeah and then that visible to, scars yeah. visible scars but eye patches eye patches well, like they used that, to say, that makes uh, you you know I mean look at the, the Lion King you've got a character named Scar like dude there's <laughs> a there's a horrible screenwriting tip that has been just perpetrated through time where it's like, oh, the obvious shortcut to tell if someone's a bad guy is he's got a limp and an eye patch. Yeah. And what that is shorthand for is you just don't want to give a guy or a girl or a person one character trait. But to associate evil or bad instantaneously with someone with an eye patch? Yeah. Like you have no fucking clue who that person is, how they lost their eye. Like granted, okay, if they're dressed up like Slender Man or or Freddy Krueger that's that's one thing but then again like burn victims like yeah. come on like Freddy did not do a lot for you know burn victims like, no. in, you know what i'm saying like it, it goes throughout history and it's not great i think this movie is also very scary because it is it is real again going to yes. the going to the uh if we're just let's compare Sigourney Weaver to uh Clarice just alien aliens is mm-hmm. terrifying but i mean as at least as we know right now not a possibility yes <laughs> not, exactly. not a possibility no, true, is, a, true, true. is a sci-fi film but this film this is this has happened can happen well i think is a terrifying you know i think this is i think this is a great situation like this is a great genre to show empowerment whether it be man or woman because of this inherent dangers of the situations right like every like alien is and this like they're basically like not basically but like there's a lot of similarities you know like they're just they're especially at the end of silence of the lambs like it's very much like an alien type sequence where there's like a hidden monster in the house kind Mm. of thing and um yeah i don't know i think it just shows like really great potential for people to summon their inner strength and face their fears and 
You know, I'd much rather see that than um, this character in like a romantic comedy or something like that. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the ending of this film is just absolutely terrifying. I always, I said like the, um, so one of my uh, favorite films is Zodiac. And yes. I consider that in some ways a horror film. I mean, David Fincher just really also knows how to evoke such just terrifying moments. But the, the violence in that film is only like within the first 45 minutes. But one, I, what I, what's one of the scarier scenes for me in, I mean, and that's already a 13 year old movie, but at that time when he's in the basement of that house with, Oh God, what's the actor's name that does Charles the, Fleischer. Yeah. That does the voice of Roger yeah. Rabbit. And everything yeah. Like he's that. in Friday the third, no nightmare on Elm street part one. Oh wow. Okay. At the dream clinic. <laughs> <laughs> and he is so terrifying, but just that whole sequence, which nothing happens, but then the Jake Gyllenhaal is, you know, like the whole, like the, there's not a lot of basements in, uh, you know, in yeah, California yeah. in general, yeah. there's a phone in the basement, all that stuff. And just like, and then, you know, uh, he, the character, you know, turns off the light. That to me was like the scariest moment that I had seen in film since watching. And I didn't watch in 1991, but when I was in high school, I guess maybe the first time I saw uh, Signs of Lambs and this basement scene, which end, ends in violence with the, with shooting uh, Buffalo Bill, but just him, just, just, she is prey in that moment and he yeah. is a predator and watching with the, we see the night vision goggles when he's first uh, with the, with the last victim. Yeah. Uh, when, you know. Which suggests military to me. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude, like what you're saying about like the real element too, which is, uh, you know, a big difference, like you're saying between this and Alien and why I think this resonates a little stronger than Ripley. Uh, and also like Ripley in general, I mean, not, not because like Agent Sterling is in the FBI, so she has to be tough and physical and, and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I keep thinking about every time I watch this movie and can never not sort of associate with, and this is kind of weird, but it makes sense because of the like the realness of the serial killer kind of stuff is, um, oh God, what's his name? Um, um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. Right? So like tons of similarities there. Like he's more of the, Le- he's like Lecter and Buffalo Bill combined. He, well, he kidnapped and ate people. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, and that's always, it's, the fact that at the end of the movie, uh, I mean, because he goes then by like his name is like James Gum, or he has a bunch of pseudonyms. Mm-hmm. I feel like, but Clarice, you know, they think that they have him. The FBI is going to one house. I love that's, oh, such, that's a such a great... great, and that is only paid off because of how well this movie is made. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, the tricks they've been pulling the whole time with editing Ugh. and stuff, like, is why that wrong house sequence pays off I, so well. I would have loved to have been in a theater for that moment. That moment, there's two fantastic moments in the movie like that it's that and it's pretty much right before this scene where hannibal's in the ambulance and all of a sudden you realize like that the body in the elevator isn't hannibal and And he sits up and he sits up and pulls the face oh god that's very dracula you know just sitting up out of his coffin and attacking somebody And there's a very Dracula. He has that other moment where he's in the the cage character asks or Clarice in the elevator when she's going up to visit him. Is it true? You know, like he's got the yokel kind of sense yeah, yeah. to him. He's like, "Is it true what they say? Is he is he a vampire?" Yeah, yeah. And he has that one shot after he bashes the dude's brain in, and, oh, and it's and like an from underneath, white, and yeah. he's in the white, and he's got all the blood on his mouth. Anthony Hopkins asked to be specifically put. They were going to have him in 
more like a yellow or uh, orange. And he said, mm. like, I want it to be much more like he's, you know, also like a mental patient in the white and then just ghostly. And then the, the way the red just then pops up and it's even the it's harsh lighting, yeah. that shot and just the way Very it's dynamic. It almost looks like a Tales from the Crypt comic book cover, yeah. or something, like an EC comic angle, like that weird Dutch angle from below with mm-hmm. the light in your eye and just that horrific. And, light. and there's also very scary religious elements to this, the way that yeah. he then takes the uh, what oh, that what's that actor, the late actor's name? Jack Napier. Oh, right. And like flays him. And flays him in a very, but honestly, in like a crucifixion like kind of crucifixion thing. slash angelic, like yeah. with the wings and everything like that. Oh, yeah. He's just, I mean, he's, he's someone, I mean, just with his drawings, they're very, it's gothic. Right. Yes, exactly. That's right. Yeah. He talks about the picture from memory that he drew of Florence or something. Yeah. For and, Lawrence. And that's where he actually is like, had they not find him, that's where he is in Hannibal. It's like, just go to the places he drew. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, I mean, this this movie also then won like the the big five when it comes to Oscars. It won yeah. best director, it won best actor, which Anthony Hopkins is the second actor or second like shortest on screen time for a lead actor. Really? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't mean what an impact because it twenty four minutes fifty two seconds. Okay, well that's you know a quarter of the movie. That's still it, seems like a lot to me. It seems like enough. What's is there a the minimum is what? I mean, from, just uh, I think the argument is also he is like even in the movie he is supporting. Yeah. So I think people like kind of look at it that way. So the one, fact that he won lead actor and she it, won lead actress. Was it the history of violence where that one guy got like nominated for best supporting actor and he Ed, had like Ed Harris? Ed Harris? No, was it Ed Harris's one scene? Yeah, his like one he, scene. He's got like two scenes in the movie, but it, yeah, it's really it's on really that, like, that one monologue. Well, Michael Shannon also was nominated for best supporting actor for he's in two scenes in Revolutionary Road. So that, okay, I mean, but yeah, I've only I've not seen that whole movie, but I saw one of his scenes, and I get. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. But yeah, no, that, I mean, that happens time to time. But I mean, Anthony Hopkins, you want to give him lead actor, give him lead actor. And this is also, he was going to give up on at least pursuing like Hollywood acting, he said. Yeah, I had heard that. Yeah. And, and this was, you know. And uh, boy, oh boy, like he, uh, it was almost like the Travolta effect in a way where it's like he, it seemed like was in everything after this to me. I mean, he might not have been. But I always I always associate him with this role. I don't think he's ever been like this sort of restrained. Mm. I never, I'm always surprised at how sort of like kooky or jovial or like wacky or sort of like off eccentric. He just he's an eccentric went for dude. It. Yes, in real life. Oh, if you and follow like, him he's, he's on like, like a, he's Instagram, he's like an artist yeah. actor, yes. and I, that's just not how I ever sort of perceived him. Before. I always thought of him as more of like a sort of Shakespearean kind of like very serious take myself like have my tea but like he just seems like no like he's got an odd sense of humor eclectic exactly stream have you ever seen I think that was his movie he directed this movie and it's just a stream of consciousness Mm. in images and stuff like I have to see it I don't know man he's very interesting guy Ended yeah. up in one of the Transformer movies, you know? Like, ended up in a Mission Impossible movie, I think. Yeah, like, just yeah. just shows up everywhere. I think my, actually the first movie I ever saw him in was The Mask of Zorro. Okay. <laughs> That's a very good movie, though. He plays old I, Zorro. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, the, the, I mean, an old yeah, British guy playing an old Spanish guy. Welsh. I'm oh, sorry, an old British guy playing an old Welsh guy. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um... I also love, I just wrote down like some, you know, trivia. Uh, um, his 
his inspiration for his voice was a combination of Truman Capote and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, wow. Which I love. I mean, as again, uh, Roy, the late the, great Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Capote. Totally and, feel the Capote but, there. The yeah. Capote, but even the Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, you know, the darling. Yeah, darling. Exactly. Um, in in the book, oh, I did write. It's a, a nice uh, Amaroni instead of Chianti. Um, foodie connection. During this movie, Anthony Hopkins was dating Martha Stewart. No way. <laughs> What a couple! And uh, and after this movie came out, she broke up with him because she couldn't not think of his performance. Yeah, that's a. I could. That's underst- gotta be haunting at the I time. I could understand that, right? Like just how, like if all of a sudden he like in the way, like not intentionally snuck up behind you, but of like just any moment that you just probably hear like, "Hello, darling." It's just yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. You start associating <laughs> certain things with stuff, and then you just can't get it out of your mind. And that's, yeah, that's a downfall. Well, you know, who ended up, she ended up in prison for real, which is kind of like ironic. <laughs> like, you only have to play a character in prison. She actually went to jail. I mean, she didn't need anybody, but. Like. I, I love in the, um, that scene in, uh, you know, in, well, I guess it's always in Maryland. But when he's in the big, when he's in the big room, the cage in the middle, and they bring him uh, the lamb dinner we see that he's he's even got a Bon Appetit magazine in there. Oh, which is really? Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just nice. yeah, like we said before, the character of Hannibal and Joey. Joey, uh, if you're listening, I know you've told me several times to watch the show Hannibal. I even heard that it, they might be bringing. Oh, it back. I've heard that's an amazing. I've show heard too. that it's an amazing show. I, it's just one of those things that it's um, when it comes to darker material like even um then there's that show on netflix Mindhunter. yeah i um, can't i i couldn't do i mean i love anna torv and i could not watch i could not get through Mindhunter. i mean i even remember when binge watching and so, now they're bringing it back for one last season to kind of make it better but um dexter is just like i couldn't in, in, a, in a binge watching culture that's always a great thing they're bringing it back to make it better or to make the ending a better ending or something yeah, yeah. uh but like but that show is so violent that right. um it, it, you know i just uh i guess i i mean it's definitely more on me and just the style that we watch things these days but if i'm watching a a, a new starting a new show that already has all of its episodes out yeah most likely i'm gonna binge it and you start watching and you're like oh, oh fuck like I'm in, a, I'm in a dark place right now yeah it's funny <laughs> it's funny you say that because like you know the model recently on demand has been to release like an entire season at once and they did that with the boys last year but this year they doled them out once a week and i was like well, they started they released three at once okay, and then they did but, one no 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 i understand but i was like saying. this is a much better pace for a show like that because it is overdrive it's extreme how do you feel about that show because i know i know in tv realm one of your um least favorite moments in the sense of comfortability yeah was the 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 viper versus the mountain and the crushing yeah i hated i just i i will never uh get that Adam I just thought that was he got it out of you his know head. why it was you know why it's, <laughs> yes he certainly did you know why it's different is because the context of these being superheroes I think and the idea that there's just this mountain of a real guy crushing this other dude's head I just can't like yeah well that's it's, it's harder to, to, to wrap my head around to that. the silence of the lambs like it's it's just that much closer to reality right it's yeah exactly like it's different if you know you're homelander and, and you're, you're gonna laser some through, dude yeah. in half or if you're gonna run through a person because you're a 
super speeder and, or something. And, and the tone of that show is that much more of like it's like coked up Looney Tunes. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, it plays way more. It's, even Tarantino does that. Like with like. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. You have to have you have to balance it somehow. And there's no balance in Game of Thrones. It's all darkness and direness and dire wolves and, <laughs> and things. And but you know what I'm saying? There's no. I, I can't name. I mean. Tyrion, uh, you know, Peter Dinklage's character maybe is the only one who ever tries to like make someone laugh in that entire fucking show and barely. Yeah. It's so dark and it's so hard to like, there's no joy there at all. And I think while I do, while I watch the entire series and I do like it, like it doesn't, it doesn't really hold up already for me in a lot of those ways well even in just with violence like i mean tarantino i think i mean you could make an argument maybe for kill bill but i think his most his bloodiest movie is Django. okay when yeah. they start like in the, the shooting end. yeah the, the massacre the, the, yeah the two different massacres there's the one where right after uh oh right nice nice hans landa i can never whatever the dentist's name is schultz but, schultz okay yeah dr schultz and hey, dr uh, schultz schultz <laughs> but um but like that but and obviously the movie is dealing with a serious topic of slavery but it just goes to such a crazier point with the violence and the way the blood is splurting out versus a movie actually um to go from silence of the lambs to uh a zodiac to then a scene that i found very creepy and scary is um uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood at the at the spa, spawn is that the, the, ranch? the ranch? Yeah, and that whole scene with Brad Pitt. Yeah, but then and then that movie, the violence that happens at the, the end is actually a little bit more unsettling to me than the violence in Django because <laughs> of just like him bashing the woman, um, sexual sexuality aside, and a man beating up a, so like a they woman. Are, like they were. It was the Manson family. Yeah, after all, yes. like you don't yeah. have to make excuses. Okay, for flamethrowing. like a female, you know, member of the Manson family. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the violence that happens in that scene to me was more unnerving than in in, in at least the the like not the violence like the uh, in in Django abs- absolutely terrifying when they have the slaves fighting one another and then when the dog attacks a slave and you just hear it and Dr. Schultz is looking that violence is ooh, like I'm just getting a knot in my stomach thinking about it but the violence of the blood splurting out and everything like that like there's just yeah. different way there's different ways to handle it and this movie it's just so I mean the fact that you see uh or even here you hear Dr. Chilton explained to Clarice before he meets her for the first time oh. of what he does to the one um was it she was either a guard or a doctor and or, he just uh he just shows her a picture and we don't even see the see picture. See the picture, but we he don't just, even and she he, sees he says, it and we see her look yeah. on her face and she's like gonna he just, throw up. <laughs> yeah, he says something like they're able to realign the jaw, uh save one eye, but like she doesn't have a tongue he hit her yeah. tongue. And it's just like just hearing that. And oh god, like, and then obviously it's that's why this movie is terrifying because there's the realism to it, and then there's it makes you imagine at moments, and then moments it just fucking shows yeah. you the brutality. It's it's really well crafted. Like they they know when to show and they know when to tell. You know, like there's that whole sequence where she's in the storage unit garage and she finds a severed head in a jar. It's a silent sequence. You know, because... Jonathan Demi must have been a great kindergartner with show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know the things that uh, 
there's all this double meaning to all the stuff that like Lecter's talking about and then the way he's behaving, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's so much contrarianism going on between characters and what they're saying and what they're doing. And, and you know, so like, you know, her bosses are lying to her face. She doesn't necessarily know it, but we pick up on it at a certain point and being like, you know, even Lecter tells her like, you're a pawn, you're a lamb to the slaughter. Like yeah. they're just using oh, you to yeah. get to me. Yeah, you know? exactly. and, and she just has the sort of, like will or sort of i don't know like sense of self to not be trapped into that kind of thing she's like no like i don't put up with that shit like i'm my own person like all that like i just find that very interesting the sense of self so and then just even the, the visuals of this movie at the end i mean obviously you have those uh those like asian moths with the skull on them and everything like that but at the end when she kills buffalo bill and there's some light in the basement we see that thing spinning and it's two butterflies or two moths and then the one consumes oh, the other like the zoetrope almost yeah, looking yeah. thing yeah and it's just even like that's what he even like when hannibal's talking about the the moth in the mouth and everything and what those represent but that at the end she is you know i mean she even then she does become an agent at the end but i love in a uh thematic sense just a story sense that even while she knows, you know, her her like best bud in the film is just like you're not nervous about him coming, and she's like, no, I just know he's not gonna like come out. I mean, he does say to like the world is a far more interesting place with you in it. It is such a like talk about, and I I, I know that Heath well, Ledger took <laughs> inspiration from it, but that is like that. I love the end of the Dark Knight, uh, the the end in the sense of uh with batman with the joker where he's just like an immovable object yeah and unstoppable we're force. destined to do this we're, forever yeah we're two sides of the same coin like i that's i was just gonna say it's why batman never killed well it's one of the reasons i yes. feel batman never killed the joker is like you know he's gotta exist or i don't exist and i that's so funny that lector is like batman and clarice is his joker they're well they're always they're always um voted like up there as the as as they say they're shipped these days <laughs> oh what does that mean like they're in a relationship like i want them to be uh, in a relationship so well, like, I, I ship them online or but something? i'm just saying in the sense of like in uh votes like on afi like he is always like up there in like the top five villains and she's always up there in the top five these are characters mm -hmm. that just last with us i mean i i, I said uh i wrote i wrote down that when he um, you know, we hear all these stories about Hannibal, we, like with with that picture and him even then saying the whole thing, you know, a census taker once, you know, and the, yeah, uh, yeah, his liver. And I wrote down uh, talking of like you know AFI top villains, but when he is breaking loose in that jail cell and we just get to see like his cleverness with the pen mm -hmm. and then the handcuffing attacking the one guy then just the beating and then going after him i wrote down this is vader and rogue one <laughs> because that's the moment Precision. in all of in all of star wars like obviously we see, see like vader being like a bad guy but then vader in our pop culture so it's different than this because it's the first besides uh manhunter this is the first time that we're 
really meeting like Hannibal Lecter in, in this world before he becomes this you know pop culture of the movie. But in our pop culture, Vader, I mean, you know, especially with Disney buying him, you see kids hugging him at theme right, parks and everything. Dancing. Yeah, he's dancing. Like there's that. But then I remember seeing Rogue One in theaters and when that like that last moment, which is, you know, fan service, but I think that's the best kind of fan service, all of a sudden it made him absolutely terrifying again. And especially what, when you see him hanging in his tube earlier in the movie. Oh, like, yeah. this guy's a chump. Exactly. Like someone just go shoot him in the head yeah, in yeah, stupid yeah. tube like what the hell <laughs> he's in a big castle in the middle of nowhere with no one around him <laughs> fucking cap his ass but this like I mean as much as uh, the the, the, the terrifyingness yeah. of not seeing it or just hearing well, stories once you see him and you're like oh my god to your credit of he's scarier and deadlier and more you know when he's captive yeah this is just him letting loose in that moment yeah so a couple of things like he's able to kill a guy by talking to him and getting him to swallow his own tongue oh yeah Migs, right like he doesn't even have to lift a finger to do that kind of shit like he can get off a little bit while he's imprisoned but it's interesting to see him go into like animal mode almost or like pure survival mode and he's super precise and he's a doctor of most like he's not just a psychiatrist psychologist whatever he is but like he seems to be a surgeon at killing like he is super precise and he knows exactly like what body part to probably get at and everything and they just do an amazing job which the best filmmakers can do is uh you've already by the time forget about being introduced to him because like he's talked up incredibly well and then we see him and it's shocking because you're like how can this old man do all these things like i've heard about but for the most of the movie we just see him standing in a cell or sitting in a chair or or confined and restrained right he's very still and stoic and stuff and so when he finally acts yeah oh when he's sitting it's, in the- it, it's it comes across as more brutal than it even is to yeah. be quite honest like he doesn't do a lot of shit like he's not like tearing some dude's heart out but it feels like you're watching that yeah where all he's doing is hitting a guy with a hammer or sticking a guy with a pen yeah yeah i mean everything is built up perfectly at that point after that first time she meets him and then we hear that like Miggs is dead he made him eat his own tongue or whatever um and uh uh and then the next scene, he's just in the darkness of the jail cell and his painting, his drawings were taken away. Just everything is shown up to that point. Uh, then if that's that scene, you know, they only have four scenes together. So it's either that scene or the third time. And when he comes like running back up to the window and, you know, like, and just mm-hmm. everything is just built up so perfectly. And the last time he and Clarice are in person, the way he just rubs you know with his finger just wants a little <laughs> touch and then even to the their last conversation which i was going to say before so it is i i, I love it in, in a in a story sense it's absolutely terrifying it is a form of abuse because even if she isn't afraid that he's going to come after her he's still there haunting her oh yeah and yeah, calling yeah. it's just it is it is a movie um where i mean women are murdered and i don't think that they say that they're uh, that they're raped but i mean no, obviously because that's not his it's not like a sexual thing it is yeah. said. like he doesn't do anything to them except kill them and he wants to be them yes um but obviously uh, horrible things happening to women in this movie yeah. but it, it does it is a it is a movie that also evokes like uh a, a rape 
vibe to it in, in, in a, in a oh, emotional, mind right yeah mind yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like that i just it's crazy how much that's come up recently in stuff not that i've necessarily been watching but like listening to reviews and things like the concept and quite literally like in comics like there are psychics that mind rape like you know gene gray or whatever during the phoenix saga it's like well that was a big, that, that was thing. a big point of uh the first season of like jessica jones yeah exactly exactly so like that is like a real deal thing though like as much as like gaslighting is just this thing of like you're always gonna have to look over your shoulder or like i know your deepest darkest secrets and at any moment i'm gonna reveal them or like all this yeah. kind of and that can happen to you know a, a man or a woman but like it's crazy that it's here and it's like 20 years before I even like knew that was a term. Yeah. If that even is a term, I'm not sure if that's like a, if that's been designated. It's just that like, I've heard that come up in, in movie reviews uh, a bit recently. Well, I think it's just a point of just uh, abuse isn't just mm-hmm. physical, it's mental too. And yeah. just when she's left on the line saying, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Lecter, Dr. Yeah. And he's just walking away. And I mean, we get a bit of a to meet an old friend yeah I'm, I'm, I'm having an old friend for dinner it's just like i mean hey we got a foodie line to like and and the film uh, oh there's a funny line earlier where the psychiatrist is like uh you don't have to worry i don't think you're his taste no yeah. pun intended or yeah. something like that or anything oh uh, dr chilton he's one of the creepiest guys in the movie oh he's the worst of the worst yeah. man He's Again, just, just like in a real world, it's just like, you know, Baltimore is a fun town if you have the right guy. Oh, he's only just, hitting on her. Yeah. It's just, he's just. The, <laughs> well, that's like the first line of every man in this movie is a pickup line. Basically. Well, that's, yeah. That, that's Even her a, boss. Every, every, yeah. Her boss is like, gets her into the office and then like brags about something to her and then is like, oh, I remembered you from a lecture. I singled you out, this and that. And like all this. It, trying, it's you know. very much, it's such a. Um, I mean, it's a it's a it's a feminist film, and but it's also it's just the it's just pointing out so much what women have to deal with. And yes, yeah. okay, they don't have to deal with serial killers all the time, but they have to deal with these creeps. They have but to it, deal with this, yeah. these bosses. I mean, that's what I mean. And I think the point one of the points is it's just as bad or tedious. You know, like if you have to deal with one serial killer. Or every man in America. <laughs> like, they kind of, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, my God. I'm glad that, like, it invokes those types of feelings and emotions, though, because I don't think those were picked up on so much, you know, 20 years ago. I think yeah. people watched this and were like, oh, yeah, Agent Sterling stuff. And like, oh, this, this and that. But, like, I don't think they picked up on, like, as much of the glances and the undertone and how really creepy, oh, like, just, a lot of yeah. this really when, is. When she goes to the, the what, who ends up being, like, the first victim's house, and that's the whole thing that, I mean, is definitely a big part of serial killers, like, usually the first victim, or, like, they are known in some way. But just the way she finds those pictures of, I mean, every, you know, every victim tends to be a, uh, a you know, air quote, like, a, a bigger girl like mm-hmm. a size, size 14 i mean the way the buffalo bill is so weird because he needs he, yeah more skin to cover yeah. himself yeah um but it's just absolutely yeah when I mean, she finds those pictures or just even the way that then like then she's talking to the girl she worked with and just the just the animosity that's in the movie is just right just so uncomfortable and again like horrifying where this is a movie with dealing with a, a cannibal and a i don't know even what well, okay. You want to consider Buffalo Bill, but just, you know. So here's a term I'm going to throw out that is very recent, I feel. And I think it pertains to this movie very much. Is this elevated horror? Is this something, you know, like that would come out today and be classified in that sense? Because it is 
horror on deeper levels, right? Like there's like uh, it follows, or like a... or or like or like Hereditary, oh, you know, yeah. or something yeah, like uh, that. Oh uh, yeah, what's the um, then? What was the one after that? Midsommar? Yeah. But I mean, even the the Witch or the Lighthouse, like there are just yeah, these, well, yeah, yeah. these movies that are. Um, you know, there's just more. There's just a deeper level of, of yeah. realism, or meaning, or, or some kind of social. Oh, it's it, well, that's and commentary or something. I mean, that's always been in horror, but I just mean it's elevated to the surface beyond the gore. The real horror is society, right? Yeah, is the way people interact with each other. You know, day to day, not the the one guy who eventually snaps and ends up killing everybody else. But it's like, well, what leads to that? What is the system that we're all living in? And, and that's the horror is like yeah. being trying to navigate that, trying to just live um, as a happy person in like a miserable world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The Silence of the Lambs. That's just I mean, I didn't even say this yet. Just great title. And I did say we were going to kind of talk about it. Just the fact that, like, that's where, where quid pro quo and they want their. Speaking of quid pro quo, yeah. very topical. <laughs> yeah. Regina and quid pro quos. <laughs> but, but just the fact that, like, that's where their relationship, her exchanging this, this information personal with Hannibal, this personal information. And then what we hear, what that, I mean, what the title means is because what he, he says it at one point. Um, it was the silence. Of the lambs, titular uh, line. <laughs> uh, when he, when he, uh, they had to when, slaughter when the, the, her pet, right? Yeah, she moves out after her father. You know, or I guess her mother has been dead. Her father is killed, um, and she has to go out to her mom's relative, like someone out in Montana. And there's a lamb. Shout farm. out, Tobin. <laughs> yes, how you doing, Tobin? <laughs> and um, and yeah, and this, this, I think she said cows and lambs or some but the point being she just hears these these lambs screaming and she just isn't even able to she carries one but can't even get that far and then she right she's trying there. to rest she's yeah she's, she's vegetarian like, only if I can, yeah only if i can no. only if i could you know uh but it refers to her one it refers to her childhood traumas yes that has been sort of you know driving her or haunting her her entire life and lecter is it's like the only one who's ever been able to get her to talk about it because he is you know when it comes down to it a great psychiatrist yeah <laughs> ultimately he didn't get his doctorate for nothing right <laughs> like he's able to preen and pry this information out of his uh, i feel like he's supposed stuff. to be kind of like the uh um oh god why am i blinking on the very famous like psycho like uh freud i oh. think he, like oh, i think yeah, in, yeah. i think in that world That's like I, I think yeah. th i think they are like he's he's i mean the fact that like in red dragon like he's hanging out with these socialites like he is like at a very but even, like high even, level known in society even the sort of psychosexual nature yeah. of his clients and crimes and everything like that going on in, in the stories it's the very freudian stuff is like you know i killed her because i wanted to eat my mother or whatever yeah. you know <laughs> like <laughs> but just like in that final encounter in person that they have when he says like woke up in the dark to hear the screaming of the lambs it's just like so it's it's about they keep saying the screaming of the lambs but just the fact that the title is the silence of the lambs it's kind of telling you like it's almost like once you hear the end of this story if you're just so invested in the movie but if you thought about it at that moment that the movie's called the silence of the lambs it's telling you that this person champions mm. what they are doing at that point interesting I mean, she is still going to be, you know, like she has that 
phone conversation with Hannibal, but as far as and that that visual of the butterfly eating the other butterfly, she is evolving. And so I think that like this helps kind of silence. Oh, the she doesn't hear them screaming anymore. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, she's dealt with it. She's At least gotten past that point. She's got plenty. Of, I mean, she's... and I mean, what better way to deal with it than to capture a serial killer in like an extremely yeah. dramatic fashion all by herself? That's that's <laughs> specifically going after women, I right? Mean, it's just it, it, it's addressing like yeah, she's finding like the butterflies in the. The people like yeah, it's addressing her issues, right? Like the the crime fits like her profile, yeah, like really well. Like she should be the one to solve this crime. I mean, I think which is, I mean, obviously Jack Crawford doesn't see a bunch of d- doesn't know all of this information, but I think he also kind of sees like an opportunity for like just a fresh set of eyes. That's, well, at least that's you know what I think immediately is like there's only two women at Quantico. Uh, who's got the better grades? <laughs> we need a woman. Like, Lecter is not going to talk to any more men. A man is not going to be able to think on, in a dimension and in that, realm, that women can. And in that realm, she is, to like the way Jack Crawford is teaching, uh, uh, treating her, she is like uh, the, the lamb. Like, she is the sacrificial lamb to Lecter at first. Yeah, and she doesn't even know it immediately, per se, because she has no reason to think anyone would be lying to her. But that's what's... I, that is exactly. She's not. Maybe she's not lying to her. They're just not telling her everything that she needs to she, know well, when just, dealing with a psycho killer. She thinks that, like, because he's saying he's not talking to anybody. He just thinks that, like, well, they're like, know. we just need to gather. We're just going around gathering psychological profiles of all of our prisoners. Yeah, we just need you to go ask him a few questions. It's like, no, you want to. You know, he knows what's going on with yeah. Buffalo Bill. You want me to get to that? Just you know, you could have cut through the shit, and but. You can't because you're a man <laughs> and you can't see past your dick or something like. Oh, man. Well, it's great. Good stuff. So Quantico was a thing. I don't think I, I this this hit me to that for sure as a kid. Like what like, like the FBI agents had like this like badass place where they went and they all yeah. trained and shit. I thought that was really cool when I was younger. Uh, I mean, you hear like that. And they Island actually then they the, like uh, and they Marines shot there. Stuff. Okay. One of the things I read was like the location, uh, like manager came back and she said to Demi, like, it's one of the most like bland, like not visually like interesting places. Like that's exactly what I want. Yeah, from inten- it. It's yeah. intentionally nondescript. Like just so you don't, it doesn't m- stick m- out. muted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the technology in this movie is incredible. The microfiche. She has to go to the library and look at oh, the yeah. film. Oh, yeah. Or just the point. fact that, like, to have conversations, that, like, just, like, traveling to so many places to have it in person. Yeah, and, and like, fax machines yeah. and things like that is really great. Um, I'm just going over my notes here at the end. Um, yeah, we talked about basically everything else, I think, that I had written down here. Yeah. Man, those close-ups are, are haunting stuff. Just... So good. I mean, this is just uh, one of those master class movies and just... Yeah, top notch, for sure. Like, craft, story, in just, in just acting. In just films in general, not even of the genre, but just... Yeah, like, like, yeah, I mean, like, I might think this is a... Like, that's what's really fun about it, too. It, like, almost transcends or blends them, and, and, and it's, like, this great sort of like potpourri of well this is what i love about crime this is what i love about procedurals this is what i love about horror this and that and the other and and it came out like it's such a delicious cake um <laughs> and I, I know that's weird to say about a movie with such grim fucked up Hannibal Lecter is funny though well that's the thing man i mean we were saying about like the tarantino stuff like you need to offset it there's something about his performance that's 
above everything else. It's like grandiose. Like he's almost on the stage. Like he's giving a stage performance in a movie in a way or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I think I think about like the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like often about how like they're able to get away with that sequence is because it does become a cartoon at one point, right? And it took something that was very much not a cartoon and and turned it into, or even the end of Inglorious Bastards, right? Is anything yeah. more madcapped out of control and over the top oh, but, yeah. uh, than that? And, you know, when you need to get those things across, I think the best way to do it is to balance it out with those comedic flourishes, whatever you have in your director's bag. And um, Demi and, and Hopkins like found something where they're like, yeah, Hannibal can't be, you can't play him the way Jodie Foster's like playing her characters. This guy is larger than life. Yeah. Yeah. So he needs to stick out. And I think that was great because he's like the only thing that really does that, right? Like he's the only cartoon in the movie for yeah. the most part. Like even Buffalo Bill does not come across as sort of uh, unbelievable sometimes as like the personality of someone like Lecter. Well, he's not even on screen that much. It's just, you know, like they just right. have quick little flashes. He's like a phantom. Him. Yeah, yeah. Of some kind. Oh, I love this movie. It's good stuff. Good stuff for the season. Yes. Well, um, I, I want to talk uh, a scene and, you know, from a non-foodie film. And obviously you guys can let me know if you think that uh, Silence of the Lambs was a foodie film. But again, perfect for the season. Yeah. And we've mentioned her name. We've mentioned the movie in this conversation. But the uh, the dinner scene in Alien. Yeah, the original. The original. The chest popping the scene. The chest burst or chest scene. chest burst, yeah. burst, burst. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's great. I, I um. So it's funny, like I, I wanted to talk about that before starting this conversation, but it almost feels like more relevant at the end of the conversation because we were talking about how sort of directors or, or not everybody on set is like privy to what's been going on behind the scenes and mm -hmm. things like that. And, you know, he talked about like genuine reactions because it's like, oh, I didn't know like Heath Ledger was going to come out and do this. So like now you see the look on my face. So like the story with that scene is that... Um, Nobody knew like how gory the chest burster was going to be. I think they said yeah. they ran through it without the blood effects and the blood bags. And it's like, it's just going to pop out. It's going to look around. It's going to run away. Yeah. But then when they did it for real, they like overloaded it with like all the blood and, and everything like, like that. And I think flesh. yeah, and different yeah. parts and bits. And um, and obviously when you're doing it for real, it's way more intense and stuff. And so that's a great sequence because um, it has that effect. You can see genuine shock shock and reaction and it's not acting oh and it's great in that sense for the actors too and then you give the final product to us the audience and you add the sound to it and then the way that it's yeah quickly edited just the chaos of they're having a family these are working class people that's what's great about the movie it's just working class so, people in space so the movie is directed like a robert altman film <laughs> It is. Yeah, Up yeah, until yeah, that yeah. point, it truly, like, people talking it's over each other. Nashville like you, in space. It is. Like, you can't hear it. You can't hear everything that's going. You even have characters going like, what? What are you talking? Like, there's all of these, like, bathroom moments we were sort of talking about you wish you had in Superman and, and Batman movies and stuff where they're just taking a shit for a scene. <laughs> like, that movie is full of them. Yeah. You know, it's like the whole first act until And they it's a big movie, it's like, sleight of hand. I mean, and oh, just yeah. talk about, and that's what ultimately with, uh, Comparing, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver, Jodie Foster, or sh should I say Clarice and... Uh, Agent Starling. And uh, uh, Ripley. Mm -hmm. um, Which, I don't know her full name. 
Is it Diana Ripley? I don't know. I don't know. But, but, yeah, but comparing Ripley to Clarice, like, Clarice, you know, she's, she's in, you know, she's training in the FBI. This is, I mean, uh, Ripley is just... Ellen Ripley. Ellen Ripley. Sorry. She is, she is, uh, oh, it's way off. I was way <laughs> off. I should have known that. Samsonite. Um, but she is, she is, that's just her surviving in that movie. Sure, aliens, then she becomes like the, like, it's almost the, kind of the same thing with like Terminator and Terminator 2. It goes from the survivor to then the badass of like Linda yeah. Hamilton in that movie. Yeah. And then, you know, and then Ripley in Aliens is just badass. Um, but this movie, she's just surviving and you just, you don't even think like in a traditional sense, uh, oh, why am I blinking on that actor's name? That's like the captain. Uh, in that movie Tom Skerritt Tom Skerritt and like you th- you know in traditional sense you think he's going to be the one that survives or at least yeah. you know the hero like not that Ripley would die but you just and then it just flips it and that's great about that like all the all the men start like quaking in their boots and shit in their pants and everything like like no one can really get their shit together yeah. in that entire movie except and Ripley you know she from the beginning she did not want to let that thing in right and it was yeah. the what we come to find out is not even the human right so yeah. it's like that I love how I don't know is it subject like it's like a trick right because it's like the android who mimics human behavior is who thinks they're being the who thinks they're doing the most human thing doomed yeah. everybody by mm-hmm. being human and and it's just like this weird sort which of talk about strip of like I you know it's all like wrapped around which my head talk about smart horror circle. that's talking a lot obviously on like technology at that point mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, but just what a perfect way, like it was, it had scary moments before that family dinner, before the chest bursting, but what a, you know, moment of just like these people, they're just having a good time at dinner yeah, and just that, that's what makes it even that much more, you know, dinner and sitting around with your friends is supposed to be safe and comfortable. That's what also then makes it a scary scene in Jaws when they're drinking around the table and singing and then also, yeah, you know, like it's comfort like your defenses are all down you have no guard up when you're when you're eating especially with friends enjoying a meal around a big table and everyone's laughing and it's like oh look like we thought our friend was dead and now he's fine like what a relief like this is like the best case scenario right now and then yeah. it immediately flips to the worst case scenario even ever like they couldn't even imagine how bad it's about to get you can't hear screaming in space no in space <laughs> no one can hear you scream, scream. Oh, there you, go. Well, <laughs> you as, can't as, hear someone laugh in space either <laughs> <laughs> that's well, alien that's kind of perfect that i butchered that because then uh <laughs> that's alien it's because we just discussed a movie where you know the the line just like even empire strikes back like luke i am your father and the lines that oh butch- yeah butchered. it's it's all because of the large hadron collider like we turned that shit on and it warped the past and now we all remember shit wrong and that's my take of it oh but well, so we mentioned how sort of parodied and iconic you know, Science of the Lambs is uh, Alien itself, and that particular scene got a got a parody in Spaceballs oh, at so the end good. of the diner. Yeah, check please. And I, yeah, and I think I saw that before because I was a kid. Yeah, you know? I definitely saw that before Alien One, so I, I had mean, no idea yeah. like what they were referencing. But it was still it's. Oh, that, I think mo- that the, movie is just. I mean, you've got... I think the uh, bit like the value is inherent in the bit because that you just take that moment out of one movie and put it in another and it still worked the late john hurt reprising his role that as well yeah 
But yeah, and then just him going into the hello, my baby, hello, my honey, hello, my runtime gal. But it also, but it just makes you think like when they parody Silence of the Lambs, it's always someone as Lecter in a mask talking about eating your liver, right? So like, it's just funny how iconic moments then. Yeah, and like how they are, why they're iconic or why they work so well, and then that they're able to just be lifted and put into a completely different context and yeah. still work. Just parodied <laughs> or even to level of like spoof. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just so, so good. And Spaceballs is one of the, I mean, Mel Brooks films in general, but Spaceballs between obviously Star Wars, Wizard of Oz, Planet of the Apes, Oh a- Alien. Planet of the Apes. At the, I mean, that yeah. is a direct tie into Planet of the There Apes. goes the planet. Yeah. Oh, shit. shit. <laughs> well, um, so good. foodies, I need a historian for foodie films because I'm, I'm clearly not good at this. But I did ask Brian. I went back and I, and I listened to either the third or fourth time. But I, I have a little question because, you know, we've got gut instincts. I've asked you who would be your dream dinner guest. And now this question for you. A little food question. I hope I answered Nicholas Cage that. I can't remember. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, my, my question to you is, if there was going to be a sandwich named the Mike Manzi or the Manzi, what would be the ingredients of said sandwich? Oh, really? Yeah. That is not an easy question. Here. I know. I'm dropping on you right now. Has anybody answered this? Brian's the only one. Do you remember what he said? He said it was a Dominican. Well, first he thought I was asking the question, what would the the sandwich be named? And he said the instigator because uh, he's just naturally an instigator. Okay. But I, 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 and so that's why I phrased it. Uh, I feel like a little, a little clearer this time. In yeah, what yeah. Would be, what are the ingredients? Yes. And so he said, because, you know, of his uh, Dominican uh, heritage, uh, oh, I see. you know, it would just be different. Yeah. I forget exactly what it was, but it was Dominican uh, foods and stuff like that. Hmm. What would mine be? What do I eat a lot? You, BLTs. Yeah, I like BLTs. Grilled I like cheeses, the Taylor hams. Taylor I like hams. the grilled cheese. You know, I would probably Turkey do clubs. something like I'd start with a cheese steak. Okay. Oh, right? Yeah. And then I would put um, like the Taylor ham on top of that. Ooh. You know, the, and yeah. then you do like the lettuce, tomato, onions, and all that kind of stuff. And you do like a layer of that. Uh, and then you got to do like more, right? So like you got to put like, so you got the steak, you got the ham, and then you just got to put like some chicken on there too, right? So maybe you get like a chicken cutlet <laughs> wow, and you put that on top. And then you even put like some 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 sauce on, some pasta sauce or if you want the, or gravy or if you want to dip in it. <laughs> so you got the cheese steak, the tail of ham, and the chicken cutlet, and you just fucking smash it. I like, think you're like, just missing like shaggy. I think we do. I think you're just. This is coming from a place of it's just called the heart heart attacker. <laughs> this is just coming from a place of not having diner food in a while, so you're just trying to put everything onto one sandwich. You get, you get two pieces of bread and an order of disco fries, and yeah. you're good to go. Otherwise, I'd go something boring since I'm like part Italian. Get like an Italian hero. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna settle on like the like yeah, make an Italian hero, put that thing in the oven. Okay, I like and then, it. And then um, then eat a cheesesteak the next day. 
<laughs> so it's yeah, you gotta the the, the manzi is two separate sandwiches. That you, <laughs> you just you get one is the next the next day sandwich. That's hilarious. An yeah. overly complicated sandwich. One order <laughs> one for two order, days. One order for two days. I'm sorry to have like mangled your question. That's, but... No, that's that's this is I'm being I'm the Hannibal Lecter right now, and I'm and, ne- and I am understanding never, much more of what Michael Manzi is. Right I never now. would have thought of like, well, if they ever if I ever got rich and famous and they named a sandwich. Oh, clearly they name a sandwich after me like obviously i'd need to have that in my back pocket at all times it's in one case, of like, it's I, one of the greatest honors to have a sandwich because like i walked my, into the yeah. deli and yeah. it's not what was written down on my piece of paper it's like that's not my sandwich <laughs> <laughs> well it's like you ever see i think i i think what made me think of that i watched the there was a curb episode where he has a sandwich named after him but he doesn't like the ingredients oh right right, right yeah. yeah and he's like trying to switch with like ted dance and i think or <laughs> so it's, much of that show is revolved around spite <laughs> Manzi, this has been awesome. We've talked for Pleasure. quite some time. I love it. I had yes, a feeling about it. It's be a long the, one. I, I'm all about it. Okay. I'm as all long about as you're it. good with it. This is great. It's your show. The the foodies haven't heard you in a while. That's and that's and that's my fault. But that will be I'm gonna They don't know uh, it was punishment. <laughs> I've been kept off the air. <laughs> <laughs> well we, we, we said them in the beginning, but please tell the foodies out there yes. where they can find you, what shows they should be listening to. So we're just wrapping up. Joey and I just spent, oh man, it seems like years, but it was a good one. We did the um, the Tom Tom Club. The uh, Cruise Club has been over for, for a little while now, but Hanks for the Memories is mm-hmm. wrapping up. Um, please go vote for the Golden Woodies. So like every, at the end of every run, we do sort of like a, um, like an award show. Like we, Joey and I go through at the end of every episode and nominate what we think, you know, best, supporting actor best role best movie that kind of stuff and now it's open to the listeners to please go vote and then we're going to record an episode of the results um so there's still like two or three more tom tom hanks episodes tom tom club hanks for the memories we got a special halloween episode coming is this coming out friday this is wednesday com- this, yeah this is so before this, this is, this is so, a Halloween. Yeah, yeah so friday before halloween i think is going to be uh the david s pumpkins episode <laughs> Nice. You're welcome, or whatever his catchphrase is. I can't remember what his catchphrase is like. What a weird thing to transcend into, like. Really? Yeah. And then we still have, like, one or two episodes after that where we've ranked all of Hanks' films, and um, we're going to have the reward, uh, the award reward show. (laughs) Um, And then also on the 30th of October is the Monsters That Made Us podcast with me and Dan Cologne. So that's uh, Dan's project that he brought me in on i am sort of the the um the fritz to his dr frankenstein or some people might think igor (laughs) but igor didn't show up for a few uh frankenstein movies it's pronounced igor (laughs) exactly but listen to the show to get all those kinds of references and everything but the first episode is going to be the 1925 silent film classic the phantom of the opera so that comes out the day before halloween and there are going to be new episodes the last Friday of every month. Um, just seems like that stuck out last Friday. There you go. I know there's only one episode, but like I already never want to stop watching and talking about monster movies. So I hope we this show goes for a long time. I hope I'm not back here a year later being like, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that shit to bed. No, I don't think it will. Uh, like uh, it's been it's been good stuff so far. And we're yeah. only getting started. 
And third time's the charm. So oh, right. And if, so yeah, third time's yeah. the charm. I'm pretty sure that's going to stop in March where three years. Oh, but don't... come on. There's got to be, there's going to be random like third movies you're going to really want to There talk. will probably be, you'll, you'll not want to unsubscribe to the feed. I'll probably just do the, the extended hiatus kind of thing. Go on sabbatical instead of like yeah, doing the full blown, like back catalog, a bunch of episodes. That's what I need to do. With I don't want to like burn the building down, you know? Yeah. yeah you still want to leave the warehouse up with some, yeah. some content laying around sling that tent whenever you can (laughs) well um you know what i think there's nothing else to say besides thank you again for coming on and this has been just too long since we've uh, hung out we both we were we're recording in person but we're we're safe we've both been tested recently and yes this was this was needed because i i missed uh i missed hanging out with you and obviously and if anyone's getting anyone sick it's you because i haven't seen anybody no one's been in this house in months so (laughs) 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 like one of the first human interactions uh in months so that's why this episode might have uh, gone on for a bit i'm honored in-person interactions yes Well, so. um, if you if maybe if you want to try uh, in, in your best lector to remind the foodies out there that there's more to cut. Ah, oh, there's more to cut, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy and I feel like I'm loving you. Love you such a sweet.